So our text is the book of 2 Kings, Wash and Be Clean is the title. 2 Kings, you have the first five books of Moses, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, First and 2 Samuel, First and 2 Kings. So that's our main text. We're going to go to one other place as we open, and it's Luke chapter 4. So hold a place in 2 Kings 5, and then go to Luke chapter 4. Now, the story before us is an amazing story. It'll be familiar to many of you. It's about Naaman, the Syrian captain who gets amazingly healed. Jesus actually refers to this story when he's in a synagogue in his own hometown of Nazareth where he grew up, and Luke records the following account. And I'll tell you, um, we normally do this, so let's, let's stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word together. The passage is Luke 4. Verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, Luke 4:17. He opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel or the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book or the scroll and gave it to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you, in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Just a side note, Elijah is mentioned 29 times in the New Testament. Elisha is only mentioned once, and it's right here. There were many lepers in Israel, verse 27, in the time of Elisha, the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. Amazing. They were wondering at the gracious words falling from his lips. And now he's gone from the hero to the goat in a matter of seconds. They were all mad. And they rose up and cast Jesus out of the city. Now this is his own hometown. And led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built. In order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, Jesus went his way. Let me just say before you have a seat that I think what Jesus was saying here is that you are just like the people in the days of Elijah and Elisha. The ultimate prophet has come to you. And instead of receiving me, you are going to largely reject me, just like the people did in the days of Elijah and Elisha. Now you can have a seat. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's word. Just take a moment to pray with me. Father, thank you for 
all the precious people who have gathered on this Lord's Day in this place. We're grateful for every one of them. All the kids that are here today, all the parents, all the grandparents, great-grandparents, those who have joined us via live stream. We're grateful for this church family and the impact that they are having really all around the world. Thank you for this outreach that happened this week. Thank you for this text in front of us that has a lot to say to us. I pray that we would have ears to hear what you would say to each individual person, from the youngest to the oldest in the room. Just open up our hearts to hear what you have to say to us and help us to respond in a way that would please you and give you glory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Back to Second Kings, if you would. John the Baptist had a moment of um, doubt when uh, he was thrown in prison and he sent a couple of his disciples uh, to ask Jesus if he was the expected Messiah or if they should look for another. And Jesus was healing a bunch of people and Jesus answered the question by saying this, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. That's Luke 7, 22 and 23. Now, Jesus's miracles were foretastes of the kingdom to come. And we'll talk about that as we get into this text. You may remember that at one point in Jesus's ministry, he heals 10 lepers. And only one of the lepers comes back to thank God for what happened in his life. We're going to meet a man who was a leper. Second Kings 5 verse 1 is the story. It starts this way. Now Naaman, 2 Kings 5.1, captain of the army of the king of Aram, some versions say Syria, it's the same place, north of Israel, the man was a great man with his master, highly respected because by him, the Lord, you can see the sovereignty of God all over the world, had given victory to Aram or Syria. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he had a problem, you'll note it, he was a leper. Now, we're introduced to the first major character in the text, described as a great, valiant, courageous man. He's the captain of the Syrian army. Scholars say that he would be the number two leader in Syria. So he had great power, great authority, and he was a successful man. He had won many victories. In fact, there was a Jewish tradition, maybe more like a legend, that said when Ahab, the wicked king of Israel, is killed in 1 Kings 22... The guy that shot the arrow to kill Ahab was Naaman, this man in our story. Now that is tradition, we don't know for sure, but since he was the captain leading out the charge, it may well be that he shot the arrow. Now Syria was an ancient enemy of both Israel and Judah, and today there's even been issues between Syria and Israel. And if you go to Israel and you stand in the north part of the country, just up above is Syria. And up in the northern part, the tribe of Dan was there. And there was a lot of influence of paganism and idolatry that spilled over to Syria. But Syria was seen as really an ancient enemy of Israel. The king of the time was probably a man named Ben-Hadad II. And Naaman was this amazing leader of his army. But you can see that this amazing man had a big problem. You could see, say a great man, if you're taking notes, with a big problem. And his big problem was he was a leper. Now, I did something this week, and I will tell you that I don't recommend this, and if you're going to do it, 
If you're a kid, you better get parental permission. But I googled leprosy and I looked at images of lepers. And it is brutal. Now, some pictures you'll see there's a little spot on like someone's knee and it's red and it can turn shiny and it looks kind of ugly. But when leprosy is full-blown, it produces these weird boils on people and you can see them all over people's faces and ears on their eyelids and uh, it just takes over the whole body. And when leprosy kind of fully uh, manifests itself, people lose feeling in their limbs. So you will see pictures of lepers. I don't want to gross you out, but this is reality. Missing fingers and parts of their uh, legs and arms. Ears are often rubbed off. And they say the reason is, and today's, today it's called Hansen's disease, is because when you lose sensitivity and feeling, you, you could have something happen to you and you don't even know. You could burn your finger and you can't feel it. You can scratch and hurt yourself and you don't even know what's going on. And there are some ugly pictures of people who have lost really their digits and parts of their limbs. Today, In today's world, you can go to places where there are literally leper colonies. And in Israel, God segregated lepers. Leviticus 13 gives the detail. He did this so that the disease wouldn't spread in ancient Israel. So lepers were separated. And in Jesus' day, if you were a leper, you had to be a certain distance away from people. And you had to announce that you were going to walk by if you had leprosy. And you would have to do something like this. Unclean! I am unclean! And you would warn people that you were coming by lest anybody get this terrible disease, which would worsen over the years and would be fatal. No cure for lepers. And so Naaman was a great man with a great big problem. And leprosy in the Bible has become a picture, kind of a metaphor for sin. Now, they're not the same thing, but you could say it this way. We are spiritual. All of us are spiritual lepers. We have a fatal disease. The sin disease is what we have. The S-I-N virus, sin. And the wages of our sin is death, Romans 6.23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? So we all are spiritual lepers. We're in the same boat as Naaman, whatever your context in life may be. Maybe you're seen as the captain. Maybe you're a leader of a company. Maybe you have done well in business. Maybe you have a big bank account. Maybe you've experienced athletic prowess, whatever it may be. Maybe you've done well but still, we all have the same issue. We all have the same virus, if you will. And it is a fatal one. And so as great as Naaman was, he still had this issue. He was a leper. All prestige, authority, and wealth wouldn't save him. You could say he was really doomed. In Mark chapter 1, it made me think of a story of a leper that came to Jesus and he was begging Jesus, and he fell on his knees, Mark 1, 40 through 42, before Jesus, and he said to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was moved with compassion, and he stretched out his hand, and he touched the leper, which nobody did in those days. They were considered unclean. Jesus touched him, and he said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was clean. What an amazing moment in the Gospels. What an amazing moment to show us the compassion of Jesus Christ. 
Some years ago, we had a guy, part of our congregation, and he was doing advertisements and car washes, and he was printing those uh, cards that you get when you're waiting for your car. You go into the car wash, whatever you have done, maybe a, you know, kind of a minor wash or a detailing, you hold that card, and at least years ago, that's how you, you picked up your, your car. And so he said, hey, I want to print something with a gospel message because I'm printing these things in the car washes. Do you have any ideas? And I said, oh, yeah, I do. And we put an advertisement on the back of this thing in the car wash that said, have you been washed? Question mark. Well, boy, did that stir some reactions in the car wash. Now, there were people in the car wash that were believers that were like, oh, this is cool. You guys are getting the message out. But there were other people who were saying, have I been washed? What are you talking about? Do you expect me to go through that car wash machine? No. It was a spiritual question. But it stirred up so much controversy in the car wash circuit that they had to cancel these advertisements. People just didn't like hearing that they had an issue that needed to be dealt with. Character number two, verse two. Now the Arameans or the Syrians had gone out in bands or they had gone out in raids, the ESV says, and they had taken captive a little girl, character number two, from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So this is in Naaman's house now, she's taking care of Naaman's wife, some sort of servant in servitude. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master, that's Naaman, were with the prophet, she's talking about Elisha, who was in Samaria, that's the capital of Israel, then he would cure him of his leprosy. Now we're introduced to a little girl in Naaman's household, and she's a little witness. Now if you're reading this as a Jewish person, this makes you angry. A raid ended up taking her captive, and we don't know what happened to her parents. They may have been killed in the raid. We don't know for sure, but this little girl is now serving a pagan family in a pagan land. And she's described as a little girl. I don't know how old she is, but she's little. But she's a powerful witness. Her parents took her to VBS. <laughs> Write that down. Because she all of a sudden says, I wish that Naaman knew the prophet Elisha in Israel because he could cleanse him. Elisha's name means my God saves. And Elisha's ministry is a foretaste of what Jesus would do, of course, in greater ways in his earthly ministry. And so she saw Naaman's suffering. And Naaman may have hidden it under his uniform for a while, but the let's just assume for a moment that the leprosy was getting worse. And this little servant girl who sees everything in the household maybe hears the frustration of Naaman. Maybe he points out to his wife that it spread more. Maybe he expressed disgust and frustration at his pain. Maybe she hears him cry out in the night. Maybe he can't sleep. Whatever it is, but she's seen his pain. And rather than wishing him ill, which would be a great temptation, you're a slave to this family, you might wish them ill will, she rather wishes good for him. We're called to do good to our enemies, right? To even bless those who curse us, which is difficult. And this little girl, we don't have her name, but she was a powerful little evangelist. And she told Naaman's wife, basically where healing could be found. She expressed her wish, not for his demise, but for 
his healing. If we're going to love the world around us well, brethren, we need to understand God's love for all of us. She became a witness where she was. One writer says, never underestimate the power of a simple witness. For God can take words from the lips of a child and carry them to the ears of a king. This is the legacy of this little evangelist. God can use you wherever you are. And Naaman went in and told his master it had come to his ears. And he said, thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram, that was his master, said, go now. I will send the letter, a letter to the king of Israel. That's what kings do. They send correspondence, right? Uh, Naaman couldn't leave without permission of his master. He couldn't leave Syria. And so he departed and he took with him, it's described by Wearsby this way, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and costly garments. One writer of Days Past says, over a million dollars worth of merchandise. He loaded it up, and off he went to the land of Israel to seek his healing. And so he brought the letter to the king of Israel. This was the proper way to do things. And he said, now as this letter comes to you, behold, I've sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Here comes Naaman with his huge entourage, first to the king's palace to show the letter. This is how you did things. And so they would have galloped up on horses and chariots and come to the door. And the king reads the letter. But the king, who's probably King Joram, J-O-R-A-M, is upset. Naaman thinks he can buy his healing, which is a mistake. We cannot buy salvation. We cannot buy our healing. We are saved by grace, through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. We cannot buy salvation. We must receive the gift of a king. Well, the king of Israel, who was one of many wicked kings, didn't know the Lord. And so when he read the letter, verse 7, he tore his clothes. That's an expression of disgust in this time. And he said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking to quarrel against me. This is a ploy, said the king. Maybe this commander's coming up and he's going to try to execute me and all of a sudden charge the palace. Who knows what he's up to? You know how political leaders are always thinking the best of people, right? And so he says, oh, I'm sure this is a terrible ploy. He tears his clothes. Am I God? I can't heal this man. What's the problem here? And he's all upset. And the prophet in a loose translation, says, cool your jets, Joram. It's a very loose translation. He said, Elisha, the man of God, look at verse 8. He's in contrast to the king who is not a man of God. When Elisha the prophet heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me. Elisha says, you don't have to worry about this. Send the man to me. Jesus put it this way. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen? He invited people to come to him. Elisha is kind of like a, you could say, shadowy Messiah figure, at least in the sense that he heals here. And so he says, send the man to me. The king could have handled it a lot differently had he known the Lord himself. He might have said something like this. Naaman, I'm so glad that you came. 
The answer is found here in the God of Israel. I know him. I know a man who represents him. His name is Elisha. But that was not the relationship between the prophets and the kings of Israel. It was quite the opposite. It was adversarial. The kings of Israel did not want to hear the truth of God. That's what was going on in this time. And so Naaman uh, hears about this. The word gets to him and I want you to picture the scene. Naaman, verse 9, came with his horses and his chariots. You can hear the sound of the horses. And they stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Can you imagine the royalty, the chariots, the horses, the military uniforms, all that they have? They dismount, and all of a sudden, they knock on the prophet's door. And Elisha doesn't even come to the door. They've traveled probably 100 miles from Syria to Samaria. He sends a messenger to him instead of answering the door because he thought it was a Jehovah's Witness. That's what was... I'm sorry. It's bad humor. You get the door. (laughs) Now, we don't know who the messenger was, but it may have been Gehazi, who's also at the end of this story. And so I want you to see the scene. This, this royal commander, courageous man, walks up to the door and a messenger comes out and says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, end of verse 10, and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. Now, what would happen at this time is that there was obligatory expectations in these kinds of exchanges. Surely Elisha would come with a proper greeting and protocols. The protocol of the palace, says one writer, would be the esteemed leader being recognized publicly and his lavish gifts accepted with exaggerated appreciation. Now announcing the commander of the Syrian army, come to the house of the prophet, Naaman! And he has brought gifts to the prophet of Israel, Elisha. What wonderful gifts! What wonderful expressions! I am very grateful for your visit today. Can you see through all of that stuff, right? But that's kind of the way it works in the political world. I I expect this kind of greeting. I expect that you'll exaggerate your gratitude for the gifts that I have brought to you. And none of that. Nothing. He sends a messenger to the door. Go and wash in the Jordan River. Now Naaman is used to being maybe even bowed before and greeted with you know, incredible uh, humility on the part of others. And Naaman, whose name means pleasant or pleasantness, was furious. Look at verse 11. And he went away in a tizzy, and he said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. What do I get? A servant! He doesn't even come to the door. He tells me to go and wash in that Jordan. Now, there's parts of the Jordan River in the upper part of Israel that are really beautiful, but there's parts of the Jordan River more south that J. Vernon McGee describes as a muddy little stream. And uh, how many of you have been to Israel? Raise up your hand. Keep your hand raised if you were baptized in the Jordan River. Okay, I baptize people in the Jordan River, and I will tell you, the baptismal site it's kind of slimy underneath the water's not the prettiest in fact when you go under the water you plug your nose ears and eyes and hope that you will not come away with any disease (laughs) the jordan is just 
at least at this location, it's not the prettiest water. And Naaman had an expectation. Do you hear it? I thought he'd come out to me with all the protocols and then he would call on the name of his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leper. That's me. I've traveled a hundred miles and the guy sends somebody else to the door. You have to be kidding me. Maybe Naaman thought about getting some weapons out and going into the house. And so he's told, this is how you can be clean. And he says, are not Abanya and verse 12, Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, that's the capital of Syria, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned away and went away in a rage. Unbelievable. 100 miles traveling. This prophet, Elisha, washing that muddy little river. You got to be kidding me. And he was muttering and angry and doing all that stuff that I'm sure none of you ever do. <laughs> and he had a certain way that he thought the scene would unfold. He will call on his God. He will wave his hand over the place. And then there'll be some magical healing that takes place. And then, and then we'll, we'll stay for a meal, perhaps. He envisioned the whole thing. And that's what a lot of people in our modern world do. They say, Isn't, aren't there other rivers that we can wash in? Aren't there other ways to God? We just sang the song, One Way. God has made a way. It's through Jesus. He is the way. Amen? The New Age movement is littered with the idea that there are multiple ways, multiple rivers you can wash in. Why can't I wash over there? Why do I got to do it this way? And imagine for a second when people hear about the cross of Jesus and see the cross for what it is because there's shame and there's death there and it's not a pretty sight. And people have to understand that they've sinned against God and have to come in humility. And they can't do anything to earn it. They must simply receive it. Some people say no. And they let their pride keep them from heaven. There will be many people on that day, brethren, who will be out of heaven because they weren't willing to humble themselves. See, when you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, he will exalt you at the proper time. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen? So before Naaman could be healed of his leprosy, he needed to be healed of his pride. And that's often what happens. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You must come to God His way or you won't come at all. And that's just the truth of Scripture. God has made a way and you have to go His way. It's not other rivers. It's not other options. It's not other ways to be clean. Remember when Jesus came to the man at the pool of Bethesda? I think he'd been there some 38 years, crippled. And Jesus said to him these famous words. This is John chapter 5. Do you want to get well? And the man said, oh, well, when the water bubbles, I can't get down. Other people beat me there. And Jesus asked the question, do you want to get well? Then come to the waters. He's not talking about a pool or a river. He's talking about him. He gives living waters. Amen? This is a spiritual picture. And so his servants came near to Naaman 13 and said, my father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you have done it? 
How much more when he says to you, wash and be clean? What if he said, go and sacrifice a thousand animals to the God of Israel on the top of a mountain? Would you scale the mountain and sacrifice all the animals? And implicit is, sure. Naaman would have done anything to be healed. But because a simple go and wash in the river and you'll be clean was declared, he had issues with it because it wasn't Naaman's way. It was God's way. And this is the key. And so they try to talk sense into Naaman. They might say something like this under their breath. We do things for you all the time that we don't want to do. (laughs) They were his servants, but they loved him much like the little girl loved him. Why don't you follow the prophet's prescription? Titus 3, 3 through 7 reads this way. We, we also once were foolish ourselves. We were disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of our God and Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified or saved by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are saved by grace. We must be born again, or we will not see the kingdom of heaven. And so I'm sure muttering the whole way, he got back on his horse about another 30 miles or so to get to the Jordan River now. And you can imagine the whole time as he's riding along, Jordan River, Elisha the prophet didn't even come out and talk to me. I wanted a falafel. I thought he was going to give me a falafel. (laughs) Perhaps like C.S. Lewis, we could call Naaman the world's most reluctant convert, or in our case, the world's most reluctant dipper. And so he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. Can you imagine each time he dipped and came up? Jordan River, seaweed, nothing's going away. Number two time, seaweed, Jordan River, right? Third time, fourth time, under again, it's humiliating. Fifth time, sixth time he comes up again. Yep, just as I expected. Nothing. (laughs) And then he came up the seventh time. And according to the word of the man of God, his flesh, end of 14, was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. I don't know if you can put yourself there for a second, but a man who had seen a worsening, debilitating state of leprosy take over his body comes up the seventh time, the number of completion, or perfection, and his skin feels like the skin of a little baby. Maybe he said to his servants, touch me, feel this, you won't believe it. We have a little granddaughter, she's like nine months old, and when I touch her skin, it is amazing, it's so soft, a baby's little skin, and then you touch your skin in comparison, you're like, oh boy, (laughs) years and mileage, baby, (laughs) right? And it's amazing to feel the skin of a little baby. And uh, I, I want this to be a moment of hope for all of us. When Naaman comes up out of the water a seventh time, this is a picture of the resurrection, brethren. We all 
are going to be new again. Amen? Amen. We're going to get new bodies. Perhaps our flesh will be like the flesh of a little baby. (laughs) New backs, new knees. Come on. New shoulders. And all God's people said, yeah. (laughs) Some of you are limited. But on that day, we're going to rise and He's going to make all things new. The curse will be no more. Death will be no more. Sickness will be no more. The former things will have passed away. Amen? Amen? Behold, I make all things new. Come and see what the Lord has done. I wonder how much time in the life to come we're going to spend just saying, hey, you didn't see me when I was younger, but check this out. Look at this. Whoa. It's not sagging anymore. (laughs) Whatever it might be. The simple method of the miracle performed without the prophet there gave God the glory. Perhaps that's why Elisha didn't come. He wanted to make sure that Naaman knew that healing wasn't in the Jordan, no magical river, no magical, you know, body of water. It was God. Revelation 7, 17 says, The Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd, shall guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So Naaman is whole, celebrating. I'm sure he cries tears of joy. And it probably doesn't take long until he dries off, mounts back on his horse, and now he's going to return to the home of the prophet. But now there's a whole different ballgame. Check it out. Verse 15. When he returned, and that's the language of repentance, by the way, to the man of God, that's the prophet, with all his company. Now he comes a second time to the house. He came and stood before him. Now Elisha comes out. And this is what we would call a monotheistic declaration in the one true God. He says, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So please take a present from your servant now. Now Naaman is a new man. He's not just healed on the outside. He's new on the inside. This is what new life is. All physical healing this side of heaven will be temporary, brethren. The lepers that were healed in Jesus' day were healed, and that was glorious, but they still were going to face their own mortality. But here, Naaman is a new man, and he makes a declaration, now I know that the God of Israel is God, that all these other gods that the people worship and we worship in our nation are not the true God. He has come to believe. Over and over again, the Bible says that you may know, that the world may know. Jesus said, love one another, be unified, that the world may know, that the world may know, that you may know, that they may know, that Israel may know that there is one true and living God. Do you know? Have you dipped into those waters? Have you found healing in Christ? Or has your pride kept you away? Have you thought, well, maybe that's just too simple, that's for other people? He had a new beginning, a new purpose, a new ministry. And he was a proud man, a successful man. But he makes a declaration of faith in the living God, which tells you that he was healed on the inside. This is the work that God wants to do. He says, I'm your servant. 
He comes in humility. Now the prophet stands before him and he offers a gift. Whatever we give to the kingdom of heaven, whatever we give to our God, is all out of gratitude. If you come thinking you can buy your way in, it won't make a a bit of difference. But if you give your gifts to the Lord of your time, talent, and resources in gratitude for the healing that's taken place in your life, that's Christian giving. It's not out of obligation. It's not to buy something or get something. God wants none of that from us. If you give in a give-to-get scheme, God will have none of it. But if you give because of all that He has done in your life, that will honor the Lord. Amen? There's so much manipulation that goes on in the name of God. But if you come and just say, hey, I'm here to give this because of what the Lord has done for me, that means everything. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing And he urged him to take it, but he refused. He would not take payment for what the Lord had done. Naaman said, 17, If not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth, as much as a pair of mules can carry, NIV, for your servant. Will no more offer burnt offerings, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Okay, if you won't take the payment, give me some dirt from the land of Israel. We'll load up these donkeys. And when I get back home, I'm not worshiping any false gods anymore. I'm going to build an altar with dirt from the land of Israel. How many of you have taken back rocks from Israel? People put rocks in their pocket, you know, from the Holy Land. Oh, it's holy, right? And it is called the Holy Land, but the truth is that God is everywhere. Naaman didn't need the dirt. I heard Chuck Missler say he had a rock from Israel that he put on his desk. And it was a conversation starter. And people would say, why do you have a rock on your desk? He says, oh, that's one of the rocks from the Mount of Olives where Jesus rode in on the triumphal entry. That's one of the rocks that didn't cry out. (laughs) Some of you are getting there, right? If it would have cried out, what would a rock do? Who's in? Who's in? I don't even, but anyway. (laughs) And so Naaman was going to go home. And it reminds me of the story of the demon-possessed man, Jesus says to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. What was Naaman going back to in Syria? Who could he worship with? Could he start a Bible study? Oh, I have somebody in mind. There was a little Jewish unnamed girl back home who might tell him what the Lord wants in worship. Amen? Maybe the, a little church started in Syria right there as he worshiped the Lord, built an altar. And he says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. It's going to be tough in a pagan world. And so he, he does a preemptive ask of forgiveness. We're winding down. Verse 18. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, that's the king, goes into the house of Ramon, that's the Syrian version of Baal, the false god, and he worships there to worship there. And he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter? (laughs) It's kind of like some of you do in the morning. Lord, I'm about to get up and get in my vehicle. Preemptively, would you pardon me of every sin I'm about to commit on the 91 freeway? (laughs) In Jesus' name. Kind of a preemptive ask for forgiveness. Now this guy... 
has the complexities of a pagan world to go back to. And he's the number two man in Syria where there's a pagan temple right there and he walks in there regularly with the king. What if the king needs help bowing? What if he bows with him? Then what? He's like, is God going to be mad at me? What do I do now? Well, his sensitive conscience tells you he's been converted from idols to the living God. But he's going to have new challenges in his workplace. Amen? As a Christian, some of you (laughs) know what this means. You get saved, and you want to live for the Lord and do everything according to his values, but your boss is not on board. What do you do now? You do the best you can. Now, Elisha's not going to give him permission to be an idol worshiper. He's already declared there's one God, and he doesn't want to worship false gods. And so Elisha says to him, look, you go, final verse, in peace. Go in shalom. And so he departed from him some distance. The the rest of the story is for next time, but here's the point. He didn't give Naaman a long list of rules because I think Elisha knew already what was in his heart. And since he was loading dirt to build an altar to God, Elisha says, look, God is big enough to help you work these things out. He's not telling him it's okay to bow to a false god. He's just basically saying, I think the Lord is going to help you through this. You go in peace. Remember the woman with the flow of blood touches Jesus' garment, is healed, and Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Go into peace. And Naaman now had peace with God the ultimate blessing that all of us desire. Let's talk about takeaways. The gospel power of this story, I hope you can see it. There's one God on all the earth, naming a great man with a big problem, a little servant girl, an evangelist, who went to VBS, learned her Bible verses, and shared the hope of healing. Do you know that that's what evangelists do? We tell other people how to find healing. We tell other people where the cure is found. And that's exactly what she did. And Naaman converted into a believer. Comes out of the water, healed, made whole, humbled, and now a witness to his world. Amen? Father, thank you for the wonderful day that we've had together and all the things that we've been able to celebrate. We've celebrated Vacation Bible School, seniors graduating, all the people that helped to make this week possible. But here we are in a moment that we all have together to see a gospel story in the Old Testament, to see a great man with a big problem find salvation in the waters of the Jordan. But we know the picture is that you give living waters of salvation. You invite us, come, drink, find new life. Find the cure for the human dilemma. It's sin, we've sinned against God, and yet Jesus came to rescue us. Lord, we take a moment to think about the cross, to think about Jesus' payment for us, taking upon us all the leprosy, taking upon himself the leprosy of the world, All of our sins, he took the curse, he took the wrath, and by dying in our place and resurrecting from the dead, he has made the way to be right with God. Would you take a moment right now? You know where you're at. 
Do you know the Lord? Have you dipped into those living waters? If you haven't, this be a wonderful time to just humble yourself and repent and say, Lord Jesus, I believe you came on a rescue mission to save a lost person like me. Would you cure me of my spiritual leprosy? Would you make me new again? I want to have the hope of eternal life. I believe you died on that terrible cross and rose from the dead in the resurrection. I want to have the hope not only of being born again now, but having the future hope of all things being made new. Would you save me right now? Would you forgive me? Would you give me a new start like you did for Naaman? Maybe you've been away for a while and this would be a moment of rededication for you. Maybe you've been outside and you need to get back into the deep end of service and fellowship. It's been a while and you feel dry. Well, he's in the restoration business and he can renew you right now and bring you back to a place where you're overflowing again. And if you're a believer right now and maybe you're going through a tough time, I pray that that image of Naaman coming up out of the water will encourage you that there's a future hope, a resurrection coming, a day of reunion, a day when the curse will be no more, where death will die. And you'll find hope in that truth as you live this life. And Father, for this beautiful congregation, all our visitors today, may you bless them, may you keep them, may your beautiful face shine upon them, may you give them peace. In Jesus' name.